Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before. He's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, an actor, comedian, and now a writer. You have seen him on the HBO series Silicon Valley and his memoir, How to American, An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents, was published earlier this month. Hello and welcome, Jimmy O. Yang. Yeah, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. I didn't know you'd spent uh, so much time at the Comedy Palace in San Diego. Have you performed there? For my first time a week ago. Oh my God, how is it now? Is it is it is it okay? Like, was it a crowd? Not so much in that weird little back room. Oh, there's a back room now. They're doing they're doing two rooms. Mm, they're doing about one and a quarter rooms. Is it because when I used to work there, uh, that was my first job in showbiz. I used to collect tickets and see people. Mm-hmm. It was in San Diego. It's a club called, or oh, it's a restaurant. It's a Greek restaurant called the Greek Palace. Yeah. And my friend Sean Kelly was the one that pitched him the idea and turned it into a full-fledged comedy club called Comedy Palace at night. So around like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they'll actually change over the marquee from the Greek Palace to the Comedy Palace. It is a proper—I'm I'm making a joke about the back room, mm-hmm. which is more of a place to work out stuff and all that. The, the, the proper performance, because we're making it sound like it's, you know, like they're cooking falafel behind you while well, you're I mean, they are. But it's still a good comedy room. It's, but it's, <laughs> it's actually separated by a glass door and everything. The room itself is, I don't know how long it's been since you've been there. It's yeah. like a proper room for, for comedy. I was very happy to be it's there. It's always been nice, especially for me, somebody coming from L.A. Mm-hmm. That, it's hard to get stage time in L.A. Yeah, I know. So in San Diego, like that was, I, I used to get up like maybe just twice a weekend. That was awesome for somebody that's just starting out. I know. I've done the comedy store in La Jolla as well, and that's all anybody down there says is that they're not even coming to L.A. until they think they're good. Right. Because they won't be able to get stage time. I'm just up here in L.A. not getting stage time. Well, you got plenty. You got your own radio time. That's all that matters. Uh, This is not about my comedy career. How did you get the how did you get an actual smoking bong on the cover of your book? Did you like take a hit real quick and then go over and grab the bud can and the American flag? I think they call it a water glass, right? If you yes. go into a bong shop. Yeah. So I think you can- A, w- a water pipe. A water pipe. A, yeah. a water pipe. Yeah. So I, I think if-, if Could have been can, anything in there. If they can sell water pipe on the streets of Venice Beach, I can have a water pipe. You know what I mean? Yeah. On my- um, it could be it could be tobacco. It could be weed. It could be opium. I don't know. Probably I'm, tobacco. I'm just curious how there was actual smoke coming out of it. Dry is ice. That, is that- uh, Hollywood magic. Thank you. Have you ever smoked opium? No. I had a buddy who did it. I hung out with this guy every night for five years straight, except for one night. And he's like, oh, we smoked opium last night. Is it awesome? He said it was great. I'll have to huh. take his word for it's it. It's like opiate. That's the whole epidemic in America. That's mm-hmm. that's the OG version of that, I guess. E- epidemic's an ugly word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my people would know about a, a opium epidemic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I want I I to touch stay. on a sensitive subject. Yeah, yeah, I'll try to stay away from that. Couple uh, of wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you moved to the States from Hong Kong mm-hmm. at the age of 13. I was in Hong Kong for uh, one, long enough to have dim sum about 
uh, a couple weeks oh, ago. So good. I love dim sum. Yeah. But there's pretty decent dim sum here in America. I didn't see. I'm, really? I was like this. Kinda, did you go to one? like downtown. Did you go to one that had the push carts, like the lady pushing mm-hmm. the car and says dim sum, dim sum. Oh, you order off the menu. It was menu dim sum. Mm. So it's not even, it's just dumplings for breakfast at that point. Right, it right. was, there's like an outlet mall that you can take a bus to from the airport. Oh, so it's like not in the heart of Hong Kong, like on the side. No, it's not in the airport, but it's a bus ride from the airport. Uh-huh. I went during a layover. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to bond here. That's legit, though. Like, I mean, even in the airport, the Hong Kong airport is great food. Yeah, I don't I don't know. We, I went to the outlet mall. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I found funny in reading your book? The first meal that you had in Los Angeles, I think I know that the El Pollo Loco, or the first noteworthy meal. Yes. I still belong to the gym in that strip mall. I know no way I, the LA Fitness is still there? Yeah. Well, I guess the Toys R Us is closing down now. The Toys R Us be will be gone. The Ross... The Ross continues. The CVS continues. Oh GNC is forever. That mall used to intimidate me so much. Literally, the first day I was in America, my grandpa told me and my dad, he was like, I want to take you to my favorite American restaurants. And we walked 45 minutes down La Cienega. 45 minutes. <laughs> and and there was nothing there but strip malls. And we finally got to this place, my grandpa's favorite American restaurant. It's Mexican fast food called El Pollo Loco. Yeah. Crazy, and, uh, crazy chicken. It's just a, for anyone who doesn't yeah. speak the language. It's just a massive, massive strip mall, right? Like, yeah. and I've never seen those in Hong Kong. Of just really four stores. There used to be a Togo sub over there. Oh, there's but still. I think that you know, there's still Togos. Really, yeah. there's still Togos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, wait, do you call it Togos or Togos? That's just my little joke with my family that just made it out onto the radio. Yeah, I call it Togos. <laughs> <laughs> it's Togos. Uh huh. Yeah, Quiznos, Togos. That was my stuff, man. But. I, like back in the day, I couldn't afford it. Now I could afford it. They all closed down. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's your cross to bear, I guess. <laughs> yeah, food uh, plays a part in at least the early part of your book. Your father cooked your pets, or what you thought were your pets. Yes, because uh, <laughs> growing up, we grew up in Hong Kong. Everything is a high rise, like Manhattan, right? You you live on the twenty fifth floor. Nobody owned a house or a yard. So the only pet we could get are like really small pets. So at first, me and my brother, we got a tadpole and we raised them in the frogs. We didn't eat that, okay? It just kind of died. But um, And then eventually we finally got like some warm-blooded animal and we got like a couple of pet chicks, mm-hmm. you know, little baby chickens. And I, they're really cute and we put them on a balcony in a cage and uh, one day I came home, they were gone. I thought they fell off the balcony or they ran into the bedroom or something and I looked over to the kitchen. I'm like, hey dad where are, where, where's Gary the little chicken? And uh, my dad just pointed at the walk and he was just like <laughs> frying chicken. And it's a, it's a true story man. I actually, I I cried but I I ate it and it was delicious because it's like uh, what, do you, what do you call it? A Cornish hen or something like that? It's like a small chicken so it's very tender. Right. It, it is it's like a the- veal. You know I know I mean? it's one of the terrible dark ironies of life that animals are most delicious when they're babies. When they're babies, the know? worse you treat them for some reason, the better, the better they, they taste. taste. Yeah, yeah. Those free range chicken commercials, those are garbage. <laughs> yes, I want something that almost reached adulthood without ever moving a muscle. I don't want it to have lived. Yeah. Well, I want it to have like breathed long enough to get big enough to fill my right, stomach, right. But, but I don't want it to have not, ever like lived. lived a full life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't want him to have a midlife crisis before eating him. No. 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 You can taste the stress. It makes the meat tough. 
No, that's a serious thing. That's yes. why in Japan they massage the cows. I know. Oh, I know. Wagyu does, beef is amazing. This does not trouble the French because I have to imagine it's fairly stressful for the ducks to be force-fed to get their livers oh, 10 right. times the for, size of what they're supposed to be for foie gras. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to be a stressed-out duck. Mm. Nonetheless, delicious. delicious. That's the yeah, therein, therein lies the problem. Uh, my wife moved to America from Japan when she was oh, nice. four. Uh-huh. So uh, there were certain things. I actually feel like in certain ways, and maybe I understand her a little bit better. Oh, really? That's great. I suppose I could have had a frank conversation with her at some point over the last 11 years, but I learned a lot from your book. Good, good. Now you don't ever have to talk to her. <laughs> you is... can just, I can tell you how she feels. <laughs> I can just come on the show every now and then and be like, this is what your wife is thinking right now. Yes. Talk to her. Go yeah. to her. <laughs> and making rice is harder than it seems. I think that is a hard... There's an art to it. Well, I, once... I'm, I'm terrible at it. Well, it's it's second nature to me now. Yeah. The tricky thing about making rice is people think, you know, this much rice needs that much water. But each batch of rice is different. Mm-hmm. So each bag, is, if it's new crop, if it's long grain, short grain, or the Vietnamese broken rice, you know, it requires different water amounts. So you got to kind of eyeball it and probably... Trial and error for a couple times in a fresh bag, you know, and uh, it's a serious business because my parents will make like a four or five course meal just like any Chinese, you know, parents would. It's it's a thing like everybody in China when they get off work or Hong Kong, get off work, they go to the market, the fresh market, buy the food and whip up four or five things every night, you know, and um, if I screw up the rice, the whole meal, that's like the linchpin of the whole meal. So it screws up the whole meal, and it completely undermines my father's, uh, you know, effort on on making this four course meal. Yeah, it's I don't really know what you can compare it to because I'm, yeah, I'm like Irish, like Amer- mashed potatoes. American. If you make well, first of all, it's pretty hard to yeah. mashed potatoes can always be saved by butter, Just, butter, yeah. milk, salt. Just putting more butter and garlic in it. You're yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. You're never you're never going to really go wrong with that. But that's the thing. Rice is the simplest part of every Asian meal, right. and it's a part of essentially every Asian meal. And I know the disappointed sigh from my wife when mm. I've served her mushy rice, and my Oof. my son is. Uh, all he wants to eat is onigiri, which is like the the rice squares, the Japanese oh, yeah, rice with squares. The, with the paper. With the... Yeah, exactly. It's all he wants to eat, and he's about 18 months from also judging. Like, he'll eat any rice now, oh, okay. but he's right on the precipice of knowing he when, know. when dad has fucked up the rice, too. Well, but you still fuck it up after you've been married to this woman for, what, 14 years, 11 years? Uh, I've no, I've been with her for over a decade. Uh-huh. It's just, man, just the tiniest little bit of water on yep. either side. And like you say, it's either a bunch of little pebbles. Yeah. It's like the, 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 the sand at a bad beach, or it's, <laughs> or it's goulash. Exactly. Yeah. The subtitle of your book, which is how uh, an immigrant's guide to disappointing your parents, is not a joke. I gather. <laughs> if I'm, you sure read... you're, I'm sure you're laying it on a little bit at this. Point. Sadly, your, your it's... parents are at this point must recognize that you are a success. Sadly, it's not a joke. And my dad called me the other day. He was like, "I read the book. Why are you so honest <laughs> in the book?" So none of this is a lie. He's like, you know, usually people make stuff up in the in their books, but like you didn't, you know. And um, I think he's came around, especially I think Asian parents, a lot of foreign parents, they just want to see their kids safe and they don't have to worry about them, you know, which is, I get it. 
but they don't want their kids to pursue their dreams because that's very risky, right? But that's like the independent American spirit, and I kind of you know bought into that. So when I quit, so I I went to school for five years um, um, for economics, and when I quit my finance internship, which my dad wanted me to do, that safe paycheck to live in some dude's apartment living room for three hundred bucks from Craigslist, like he's rightfully so to be worried, you know, and disappointed. Uh, he would send me like careerbuilder.com emails every day, you know, and uh, I think now he still tells me he wishes I was a scientist, but at least he feels pretty good about what I'm doing because I'm I'm doing okay. For now, and that's the thing, I was thinking reading your book that to an extent, your parents totally have a point. First of all, it's worked out for you. Right. And- we read books where people say, if you just believe in your dream and never give up, it can happen for you. And what we forget often is all the people we're reading books from are the people who it did work out for. Nobody yeah. gives a book deal to the guy who believed in his dream. It's called a survivor's bias, I think. Okay, yeah. It's like when Brad Pitt or whoever, who anybody that has made it is telling people... Because I can do it, you can do it too. But that's not true. You're saying that because you've made it, you know. So I, I'm starting to understand that. And that's not – that's partly the message of the book. It's like it's possible. Like it's possible. But you still got to work really hard and, and, and be pretty good at it to some degree. So I'm not saying anybody can be an astronaut. You know, I might not been able to be – me and you might not be able to be an astronaut. It might be too late for us. Yeah, like, you know. Um, but I, I, I think it is also important, especially in the Asian community where pursuing the arts is not a thing, right? Seeing me, seeing somebody, you know, like Bobby Lee, Ken Jong, like for me growing up, that was huge for me because I'm like, oh, I see another Asian face. I know they can do it. I, I, there's a chance for me to do it. I'm not saying that I could for sure make it, yeah. but there's a chance. Right. But I didn't mean to insult you earlier and saying your dad could still be right. But the fact of the matter is you can have a really good run and still there's still plenty of time for Bobby Lee to end up dashed on the rocks somewhere penniless for the last 40 years of his life. (laughs) Yeah, it's still a very uncertain business because like I'm on Silicon Valley. I'm super lucky that it's my first show that was series regular on and it's been on for five years so far. And hopefully it'll it'll, it'll go more. Um, But at least I'm not. I hope I'm never going to go back to that dude's couch on Craigslist for 300 bucks. Yes. But who knows? Right. Well, I'm pulling for you. Yeah. <laughs> and the irony of your dad uh, not approving of your career choice is that uh, he's arguably a more successful actor than you are now. <laughs> so so when I started like <laughs> booking some of my first parts, my dad was like, oh, oh, my God, it's so easy. You can do it. I can probably do it. So I was like, fine. I'll sign you with my agent. And you see how hard, like, the audition process is. But it completely backfired because he started booking everything. (laughs) Being an old Chinese man is, like, in high demand in Hollywood because there's, like, two of them. Uh Uh-huh. So. That's really, you know what's really funny is I know one of them. Who? He's he's nobody. And it would burn him so hard. My wife used to work with this old um, Korean lady. Mm -hmm. And her husband was constantly going on auditions. And it's like the thing where the guy is like 55, 60 years old. And you're like, stop, dude. And then one time I was watching uh, Tim and Eric, awesome show. Uh And, you know, they just cast crazy people that they... And I see the lady's husband. And I'm like, oh, boy, does he even know that this is a joke? So your dad has competition from at least one person. Your dad's better than at least one guy. I think there's three. 
Total. Okay. And, and it's, it's a small community. Even for me, if I was to go in for an Asian-specific role, there's a group of people and I kind of know everybody there. Right. You know, it's a weird thing because you kind of friends, you kind of keep up with each other, you've worked with each other, but you're competing for one job. So, you know, you kind of you kind of want to go Tanya Harding on them. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure you wouldn't be the first person who's attempted to poison a rival or something like that. <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think that that goes for maybe with you it's a little bit more obvious, but I definitely think that if you're like a tall, unusually beautiful redhead woman, that's me. And you keep yeah. on. It's the role yeah, yeah, you yeah, were yeah, born yeah, to play. Yeah, yeah. You're just going to see the same people over and over again. Right. And, and many of us probably don't even realize at the really high level, there's probably some like supporting actress type or somebody like that that is like successful. And we all know her name. And there's another one who's also successful. And we know her name. And what we don't realize is that they've been more or less in head to head competition their entire professional lives because they occupy. This is sort of how Hollywood casting works. I'm yeah, led to believe yeah. they occupy that same niche. Yeah. If you talk about, I mean, Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and right. uh, Amy Adams. There can only be one Highlander. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all successful because they're white. If they're Asian, <laughs> that could only be one. And hopefully that, that won't be the case soon. But, right. It's changing really, really, really rapidly. Yeah, it's good. And, and you know, Crazy Rich Asians was just shot. That's coming out in August. Yeah, who's all in that? It's a full Asian cast. Literally, name an Asian person. He's probably in it. Mm, Ken Jeong? He is in it. Okay, we already hit Bobby Lee. Yeah, Bobby Lee's not in it. He, I think he, I don't know, you got to ask him. He might have actually been offered a role, but I don't think he could have done it because of some scheduling stuff. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But yeah, man, it's all the who's who's of the Asians. Uh, I'm talking about in the comedy world. Uh, Nico Santos, um, Ronnie Chang, Nico's Filipino. Uh, you know, Ronnie's from Malaysia, but he's Malaysian Chinese from Australia. I'm Chinese. Ken Jeong's Korean. And you got everybody, literally the most beautiful, most talented, and like funniest Asians. It's like our Black Panther. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I think, is it Black Panthers or Black Panther? It's just no S. Are we talking about the movie, the movie. or the radical movement? <laughs> the movie is just no S. Yeah, there's just the, the movement one. is with an S. Yes. Okay, cool. So it's like our Black Panther. Oh, okay. Crazy Rich Asians. See, it made sense to me when you also said it was like your Black Panthers. Sounded a little bit angrier. Right. But, <laughs> but it's Crazy Rich Asians. Uh-huh. It's like going to yeah. be our Black Panther. Well, the idea is when you get to the point that it's no longer remarkable for, like the like Sidney Poitier was the trailblazer because he was right. the black guy who wasn't necessarily playing like the black guy role exactly, and that's a very important step. But the most important for you know Kumail to have the big sick, but yeah. the next step is when it just happens and nobody, nobody even notices an eye. because yeah, I mean, it's just. The Big Six is a great movie, but even then, he's a lot of it. The, the theme is the Muslim family, of you course, know, arranged marriage stuff like that. The good thing about Crazy Rich Asians is there's a whole gamut of Asian people. There's the funny one, the asshole one, you know, the the best friend, the supporting actor, the leading man. So it's it's you're gonna see a whole spectrum, and we're just there because we're good at our jobs. And this is just a movie. It's not just one movie with one random Asian token guy, right? Which is, again, it's a step along the way, but you put it bluntly in your book that you're, if you're trying out for a role, there's a good chance you're trying out for the role of the token Asian. I mean, that's every other role in Hollywood, I think. Uh, not necessarily the role is like written to be the token or whatever, mm-hmm. but usually when you're on a TV show, in a movie, you're the only Asian person. Yeah. It just 
because, I mean, mathematically it kind of works out that way because there just aren't a lot in the pool and, and there aren't a lot there looking for Asians. And, uh, you know, like I want to play more roles, obviously, um, that are, say, open ethnicity, just like some guy or some girl's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's good. But also, not I'm not saying I'm shying away from the Asian roles. I think those are rewarding if it's a good role. Right, you know? right. Peter Dinklage is the example that I always think of here, yes. where Peter Dinklage plays roles. Yeah, he exactly. doesn't play the little. He person transcended role. being the little person. Yeah, he's Peter Dinklage. Yeah, yeah. he's just a guy. He's a guy who's in a movie, and that happens to be what he what he looks like. Exactly. And the but the persistence of the token thing, I still see because we have so many more billboards for movies and television here in Los Angeles for very obvious reasons, and it's like. It's like something stopped in 1985 in television culture, and it's it's the network shows or the uh, the, the basic cable ones that basically are networks, you know, USA's and stuff yeah. like that. It's just like it's three attractive white people, and then it's like the black guy making the face like, these people are yes. crazy. Have you seen the one with the kid? It's like the kid doing this, like the very classic two hand up. Yeah, and then with the guy uh, from um, uh, Workaholics. Uh huh. I'm like, this is, that, is, is that a who joke. It is? Oh, I thought that was uh, I thought that was the guy who does the watch commercials. That British dude. Oh, maybe both. One, there's two guys, and then a kid, literally with a tie and a suit, I and know. his hand is up. I'm like, this looks like the worst show on the planet. This looks like I'm raising a small child and i feel like it is a fucking time warp i'm giving like there's a way i could navigate it where i could give him the exact same upbringing that i had in the early 80s just by exposing him to cherry picked contemporary entertainment this stuff sucked then yeah it's but it's i guess i it's sad to say but a lot of it it's it's just easy to watch and that's what people are looking for after hard days work especially like people that's not you know, as they say, coastal elites like us, we are in the industry, especially. Yes. So we have, we know what's good. We aren't snobs, right? Yeah, I have but excellent taste. I, <laughs> but I kind of empathize. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, not everything's made for me. There's a lot more people that's not like me than like me. Yeah. Right? Especially in the middle of America and stuff like that. They just want to come home and watch something easy. Even a laugh track is background noise. <laughs> so I get, I get it. Mm-hmm. But I would, if I have a choice... I would rather not do it, you know, and do something more um, that I would watch. Well, and I always find it funny that people like yourself who are like credible comedic performers, very often it's uh, it's almost like a like a trophy wife thing. I don't know what to what metaphor to use where this person does. I'll watch someone and they come up with something really cool and edgy and comedic and I become a fan of them and then they do this little adult swim thing and this little comedy central thing but then sooner or later they get on that shitty network show and I just go good good because I know they haven't made any money they didn't buy they didn't buy a house exactly within commuting distance of their job by doing any of the things that I enjoyed so good for you yeah no I'm happy go be Kevin James wife for five years you deserve it exactly and and hopefully I mean you know you can still do some movies or something but it's not selling out that's like literally what we all strive to do like when I first started the first day at the stand-up comedy club I'm like oh my god (laughs) I wish I can just be a side character on a sitcom with a laugh track Uh uh-huh you know what I mean and and look look at us now Look at who who are we? Who have we became that we're making fun of these shows? We should yeah. be disgusted. At exactly, we're not better than anybody. Uh, Jimmy O Yang, your book is called "How to American: An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your 
parents, I was interested in the stuff that you had to say about going to American school. I've always Mm -hmm. had a a question about this. It's sort of an open observation, a running joke, what have you, that schools in Asia are so far ahead of American schools. And you make that point in your book. At what point, like, are we finally at the point where that will actually really bite America in the ass? Because I was like, how long can we make the joke about how, haha, number one nation on earth and shittiest schools ever? If everybody in Asia is way smarter than everybody yeah. in America, eventually there's a reckoning, right? Well, I think the thing is the public school, like the grade school system, Asia has a very high pressure system where they really cram a lot of knowledge into kids. Um, but you know, there's so much homework. I see my little nephews now. There's so much homework for them. They don't really have time to, like, really hang out and have fun or, like, kind of figure out what their passions are, right? And then the college system is not as good as America. So I I, I was kind of talking about the public school, you know, high school system sucked where, like, I, I coasted along because my the stuff I learned in Hong Kong was two years ahead already. But the reason why my parents moved me and my brother here was because of the colleges, you know, it's still prestigious. It's still kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, encourages creativity and kind of finding your own way and finding a passion, which is, I think, very important, whereas Chinese culture do less of that, right? So I think, you know, like in, in the Asian culture, when you high-pressure people, they become very good workers in a way. Like they're very efficient, uh, very good at certain things. But in the America world, there's plenty of kids left behind. Okay, it's not no kids left behind. No, 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 no. That was an empty slogan. I think we can. All I think agree. I think the America system, uh, the American system, is plenty of kids left behind, mm-hmm. but the people that actually prevail are the cream of the crop. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's really odd that they would nail. I'm speaking of China and Hong Kong that they would nail grammar school and high school so hard and just completely drop the ball on university. It's I I don't know what it is, but maybe grass is greener on the other side. Like if a Hong Kong company was to hire a college graduate, they would much rather hire a UCLA graduate uh-huh. than a Hong Kong University graduate. Does a yeah. lot of that happen where you just pop over here and get the UCLA degree and go right back? I mean, look at how many international students there are, especially Asian students, yeah. and all of these UC schools are. Colleges in general, yeah, I guess they all go back, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. And and it just we still kind of romanticizes the Western culture where a degree from America is cool, right? Uh, the book I don't want to do spoilers becomes uh, unexpectedly uh, unexpectedly poignant. This book really surprised me. I, I got it a couple of days ago. I got through about half of it. It just uh, I expected to enjoy it, and I did enjoy it. But there was humor in places I didn't expect, and and emotional depth in places I didn't expect and and well done. Thank you. For that. Uh I want to talk next about your brief hip hop career. Yes. I tried to when I first came to America, like I learned English on paper. Like how kids here would learn Spanish. But I don't know how to have a conversation. I didn't know anything about American culture. I didn't know what a Super Bowl was, you know? Especially like the slangs, like what's up? We take that for granted. What's up? Mm-hmm. I say that ten times a day. But that's such a weird saying, and 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 it's not something they teach you in school, right? Yeah. So and once and, it went to sup, yeah, just foreign, sup, yeah. Far, foreigners were forever left, left in the dust. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and, and 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 it just like and then I started like flipping through the TV. I think that's how a lot of people learn about culture and the language. And eventually, I landed on BET, like and and all the shows on it, like BET Rap City, One Hundred Six, and Part Comic View, and then 
they basically I mean if you think about it each of those music videos those hip hop music videos is like a slice of somebody's American dream coming true like Jay-Z's Big Pimpin on a yacht with a uh, uh, models and bikinis pouring champagne at boys partying you know Nelly barbecuing on the street and country grammar all that stuff the thong song these are all somebody's American dream yes that was Cisco's dream come true yeah I, l- exactly. laugh at it all you want that was all that, that Cisco was, ever that dreamed was my, of Cisco man <laughs> so looking at this I'm like Dude, I want to do this. This yeah. is what I want to do. Why do you so, think? I mean, there's plenty of examples in the culture of like Caucasian people having their American dream realized. What was it about like the urban American dream that you think particularly appealed to you? It's fucking cool, man. Oh, there's that. What is the white version of that? An old man smoking a cigar? Yeah. For some reason, the first thing I thought of was Ted Knight and Caddyshack. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when you're a 13 year old <laughs> kid, right. would you rather be Ted Knight? Oh, would you want to be Cisco? You know? Yeah. I mean, Cisco like spoke- C- Cisco's going to be a stumbling block for and me the whole time. And, well, and also, okay, or Snoop Dogg. It yeah. speaks to the youth also. Yeah. And, and and uh, yeah, man. And so I, I tried to rap in high school. I started a rap group. Mm. Yes. I, I was making beats. The, the Yellow Panthers yeah. appealed to me It was It was uh, one and a half Asian guys and one and a half black guys in my group. Hence. Hence the Yellow Panthers. What an S. Uh, where do those songs live somewhere now? So I'm not gonna tell you where it's somewhere. Oh, they can be. Oh, you guys are still up on Bandcamp. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's in my computer. Uh, uh-huh. In my old computer, it's not connected to the internet, so don't try to hack into my computer. Right. But it's in a hard drive somewhere. I'm actually going, getting back into making beats. I just made a song with Too Short. You did? I, I, yeah, that's like my childhood dream come true. Good. I met him in some award show, and then, uh, yeah, show him some of my beats. He's like, this is actually, this is good, man. And then, you know, we, we, we're working together on some stuff. And maybe, you know, if I find some more time, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back into that. So world. ultimately, you think you are more of a, more of a DJ and more of a Dr. Dre than an Easy? I would think so. Yeah, okay. I was behind the scenes making the beats, you know, making things happen. I could and, see it. And then I find people, you know, uh, more vocally talented than me to mm-hmm. actually rap. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Fudgestick.com. Yes. That's your that's your favorite website? I'm there Why did you bring that up? I, that's your, that's wh- your favorite why, why, why? Are you familiar <laughs> with it? Is that is that in the book? I just, I'm actually sponsored by Fudgestick.com. Fudgestick.com, <laughs> I'm contractually com, obliged man. to bring them up. That was my first paycheck as a, as, as a, um... DJ or producer, if you want to. So, uh, in case you guys can't deduct the two, fudgestick.com is a porno site. Oh, God. Um, where it wasn't, it wasn't immediately clear to me. It wasn't? Once. What'd you think it was? If somebody is like, yo, go on fudgestick.com. Uh, it seemed like there was an era where, like, all of the truly great URLs were taken. Uh huh. But there were still some like fringy ones, understandable words available. So people would say, "We're gonna start a um, you know a, a teen networking site." Yeah, yeah it's yeah. fudge stick because oh, just because it was a word God. that would stick, you know, it, having nothing to do with anything. A teen networking site <laughs> called fudgestick.com, dude. Okay, maybe we would have all gotten arrested. Maybe that's a poor example. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> That is, that's how you, that's to catch a predator stuff. But that's not what they're doing on Fudgestick, you're telling so me. So Fudgestick.com was a porno <laughs> site. And one day I got a call and, and, and uh, this dude, LaRon James, not LeBron, his name was LaRon James. Mm. And he's a Put porn- a difference a couple letters make. Right. Uh, he's a <laughs> pornographic performer. And he called me. He's like, are you Christian? I'm like, no. 
And he's like, okay, because some things that I do, you know, might not, people might, Christian people might not agree. I'm like, what What do you do? He's like, I own and operate. He was very professional. Yeah. He actually graduated from UCLA. I get to know him a little bit. He's like, I, I own and operate a website called fudgestick.com. It, uh, I'm a pornographer and it features pornography uh, with myself, um, uh, a, a black man, and a lot of, um, you know, older women that we call MILFs. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so what do you want from me? He's like, I like, I like your music. And uh, I would like to feature one of your beats in one of my trailers. Wow. So, and he paid me, I forgot how much he paid me, in the hundreds. Uh, he paid you in validation. Exactly. Artistic and, validation. And, and a free fudgestick.com subscription for a lifetime. Um, and, uh, it, yeah, it was it was in a porn trailer. Did you did you poke around at all on fudgestick? Like, as in actually? Yes, like, did you actually oh, no, go no, and that, visit yeah, the website? Yeah, 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 I'll poke around my eyes. I yes. see what you're saying. Yes, I did. No. I did. Um, <laughs> it was fun, but recently I just checked it, and uh, it's no longer there. Oh man, sad. It's I, sad. I do still have that video of the trailer, but I don't know where I can, you know, show people. I can't just post on YouTube, or I can't just go on like Stephen Colbert and be like, "Here's this fudgestick.com trailer I made." <laughs> this seems like I don't use Snapchat, but this seems like what Snapchat was designed for. Because you want to post that, and then you want that to get gone. Uh, yeah, that's true. Maybe you know. my Instagram story. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else. Amazing that Mike Judge did the commencement speech. And he did the foreword for the book. It really came full circle. Because when he did the commencement speech, we both went to UCLA not the same years, obviously. He was my commencement speaker. UCSD. SD, San Diego. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he did his commencement speech, I had no idea I wanted to be an actor. I had no idea even I wanted to do stand-up. But I just... You know, I was graduating with an economics degree, and I just knew I didn't want to do economics. And in his speech, he talked about how he was a physics major, but he kind of hated working in the Silicon Valley in the 80s. So that was like the, you know, uh, uh, a percolation of this now show Silicon Valley. This was, I don't know, five, six years ago now. Uh, no, this is like 10 years ago. Jeez, I'm old. Yeah, time flies. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, he said he eventually, you know, quit that, went on the road as a musician, and then found his passion in animation. So that kind of, that, that speech did really speak to me, you know, and uh, that kind of led me down a path to really taking a chance and pursuing stand-up, which eventually led to acting and led to me auditioning for Silicon Valley. He had no idea I was in the audience. I literally got the job. And then after I got the job, I told him, I was like, oh, man, Mike, you were my commencement speaker, man. And uh, Mike and is always quiet to the point. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. Um, so how's UCSD now? I was like, boring as fuck. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. It was boring too when I was there. And uh, it was great. And and Mike, you know, quickly like became one of my best friends on the show. And, you know, we'd go on, hang out, drink beers. And uh, he wrote the foreword for my book. So it's it's kind of amazing how that all happened. And yeah. I'm super, I feel I'm blessed. What is he like? Is he on the set every day with Silicon Valley? How hands-on is he? He's very hands-on, and him and Alec basically direct half the episodes. Because he's one of those people where, I'm a massive fan of his, Mm -hmm. so just if at any point this sounds like I'm being in any way negative, it's, I am not. There's certain kinds of people that you really uh, respect creatively that even just to hear them interviewed, you can just kind of hear the Mm -hmm. stuff percolating and bubbling off of them, and you can get a sense of where that stuff is coming from. He's... So mellow, seemingly so down to earth, Super so down to earth. so soft spoken. Yeah. It's hard to imagine all this stuff having come out of the guy that I hear in the interviews. So, what is it like? What is it like when Mike Judge gets a funny idea around you? 
So he he does a lot of writing too, but mm-hmm. the actors we never really go into the writers' room. Right, just, it's so much genius in there. We don't want to fuck with it in a way. Um, and um, when when they get on set, there's a lot of improv. And then when Mike or Alec directs, you know, they give us like alternative lines, like alts, right? Yeah. And uh, that's always really fun. And Mike Mike and Alec differs in the way that Alec's a Harvard guy. He's very precise. He knows this is why this is funny. Uh, I study this. I know, which is great. Cause is he like a lampoon he, guy and all that. I, I I I don't know, but he knows comedy. He mm-hmm. studied like the history. He will tell you, Jimmy, go listen to this radio interview from 1950, whatever, and it has this comedy gag in it. That's kind of like this, you know. And it's very cool. I, you learn a ton from him, and his lines are precise. And Mike is a natural. Mike never went to Harvard. He went to, he'd study physics in UCSD, you know? And but whenever Mike comes up to you and tells you something, it's funny. He will straight up tell you, he's like, just just uh just kinda, you know, when you say I eat the fish after that, um, just just stare at TJ for a couple of seconds. Don't say anything. I don't know why, but it's gonna be funny. And it would it's fucking hilarious. But it's he just has such good intuition. He it's it's more like a, a art you know, like thing where he can't really He's not expe- ex- exactly telling you like, do this because of this is funny, like. But he just knows. Like the guy has great intuition. And he's he's a genius, is what it is. Right. That reminds me of I don't know how familiar you are with baseball history. Famous baseball player uh, Yogi Berra said all these uh-huh. silly things. They know over till it's over and shit like that. That he was he was the same kind of intuitive person. And it, the famously one time he's trying to teach somebody how to hit like him. Right. And he's getting tangled up on his words trying to explain it, and then he just goes, "Fuck it, just watch me do it." Yes, because he doesn't even know how he does it. He just his bo- his, his body knows how to do uh-huh. it, and he just wants you to watch his body and figure it out. Off absolutely. Of that. So the stories, uh, everybody's lean years, I think, are the source of uh, of some great comedy. Assuming you make it out of your of your lean <laughs> right. years, yeah. Then they just because yeah, lean years turn sad, or else it's just very sad if you're in your fifties and still super lean. Yeah, and that's a that's a terrible book that I don't want to read. I. Your first open mic was it at the Haha at the Haha Comedy Club North that, Hollywood. That was also my first. <gasps> That's great. Did you pay five dollars? I paid five dollars to do five minutes. At a certain point, I may have gotten cocky enough to do ten bucks for ten whole minutes. You can do that. You can do that. I, I didn't know that was a choice. That's brutal. It's a dollar when, a minute. It's a dollar a minute. You can do five for five, ten for ten, and it's brutal when the wrong person has 10 bucks. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. That's Can you so, do like an hour for like 60? I don't believe they offer that option. So Thank 10 goodness. is max. 10 is the absolute max and I was fortunate enough that some comedian friends, you know, do the radio thing brought me up. I had done a couple of real shows by the time I went to an open mic, but oh. A I needed the stage time and B I wanted to see the whole you know, the whole stand-up experience. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be some spoiled whatever and that's a real weird place, dude. I don't. I'm sure we. Do you know the crazy thing? I was gonna say. I'm sure we didn't see the same people. I bet I'm we, sure we I did. Bet we did. We might have been on the same open mic or the same show. This wasn't that long ago, but I think that there are some people who kind of like. Oh, here's a here's a good. I'm not in a position to give anybody comedy advice, but I can definitely give this bit of advice. If you're the man at an open mic, mm-hmm. if that's kind of like your open mic. Oh. That's probably not a great sign. You're never uh, supposed to become totally established in the open mic. In scene. the open mic scene. Oh, and then and then they they, they think they really the shit like because they run the list on the open mic mm-hmm. and all the new open micers kiss up to them. Yeah, and it just oh, I kiss those guys' ass. Yeah, or like a dude that's been working there or like doing that for like ten years. That's why he, but he yeah. never made it to the real deal. Yeah, I'm kissing ass to some guy who's doing guitar 
you know, like music jokes. Yeah. Going up there with his acoustic guitar and that's a weird room. And there's people there who are, um, I, I think at the very lowest rung of comedy, it's almost hard to distinguish the comedy element from like the self-help element. Those are people who just need, oh, to, therapy. need to get out of their house and talk a little bit. I, I always said, I think if you Google local open mics, that's one step away from Googling what's the best way to kill yourself. Yeah. It's a dark place. Yeah. And not, and not you know, like, ha, ha. I mean, look, who the fuck in their right mind would pay $5 for five minutes to embarrass yourselves on stage and drive to North Hollywood? And then perhaps go to two other places that yeah. night and also do it that's there. That's a crazy person, or for me, a desperate person. Super desperate. That's the way that you... Do, do you feel like comedy is where you were going to end up or do you think it was just the thing that you were doing was definitely the thing you didn't want to do and comedy happened to be the I think that's that exactly available. what it was because I knew I didn't want to do finance and I was trying to find myself you know I, I took classes in jujitsu boxing just because not saying I was going to be an MMA guy but just I was hoping for like a community of people that I can meet right but I was horrible at those two things and and when I stumbled onto stand up there was a community so at first, I didn't even do it to try to get famous or anything or try to see it as a job. It was literally just me finding a new group of friends, you know, other open micers, other people who are struggling to try to be funny just like me. But the great thing about stand-up it's, it's, it's that it's where the outsiders fit in. This is where all the outsiders come, and the weirder you are, the better it is. So that's I right. really love that aspect of it, and I think that's why I gravitated towards it. And it wasn't for years later down the line when I realized, oh, maybe if I'm actually good, I can do some college gigs and make like 30 grand a year, you know? And then it wasn't until I moved to L.A. and started auditioning that, you know, step by step, everything starts seeming possible. Right, and... It, it, actually, the things that make you an outsider everywhere else can give you a leg up, at least in the very, very beginning, because you want to establish a unique persona. Exactly. And if you're the guy who, and I'm not even thinking of you, I'm thinking of a guy I saw the other night who has this like really thick accent and really is struggling with the language. Uh-huh. That's an, a huge impediment, but if you just learn how to st- get that boulder rolling just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, a character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're a character, and it's just so incredibly democratic because you either get laughs or exactly or you just, don't. They care about you being funny. They don't care if you're black, white, Asian, you know, fat, skinny. Just mm-hmm. go up there and be funny. Right. Where do you think you would be right now if you had taken the other path and helped uh, a criminal open a strip club? <laughs> Yeah, so in the How to Strip Club DJ chapter, I became a really good strip club DJ. Yeah, see, I assumed that that was, you were just setting that up for then I did this and here's why it was a horrible failure, but one of the many twists and turns I did not expect in your book. Um, yeah. You're and, good at it. And uh, I was so good at it, he offered me to open my own strip club, mm-hmm. which, you know, it took a lot of thinking, but I turned it down. I don't. I think I'll be very good at it, but, like, I'll be pretty successful, but I could have gotten shot. Because it was a very dangerous environment, and I'm, like, not gangster at all. So to look back at that, that was one of those things, like, I couldn't believe I did that. Because any one of those given nights, I actually delivered cash from the strip club to the dude's house. I could have gotten mug, shot, whatever, man. This isn't one of the strip clubs that you see, by the way, on the way from the freeway to the Comedy Palace, is it? Um... No, were no, no, it's it's south of that. Okay, okay, it's okay. south of that. It's closed now, so okay. that's why we can talk about it. I see. Bit, yeah. But let's just say if you didn't 
let's assume that you had to help that guy open a club or he had helped you open a club, however you want to put it, and you were not murdered by now. Yeah. Like where where do you think you're what's your day? I, I think like? I'll be a very successful strip club DJ slash owner, manager or whatever, just managing strippers and uh be this underground king. <laughs> But, you know, look, I didn't come from that world, and I think there's a reason why I made the decision, right? Maybe it's not even, like, like uh, I, I didn't, like, smartly, intellectually make the decision, but I just it didn't feel right. So I'm sure down the line, months later, years later, when I'm actually doing this, I will not feel right, you know? Yeah. So, like, stand-up, it's one of those things in my life that when I landed in, at the comedy club, it just kind of felt right. I think you really do need to be a certain kind of person to to thrive in a strip club, a strip club, <laughs> drugs, adult film, or or whatever. And you can you can bend your nature, but you can't. I, I don't know that you can necessarily break your nature. I guess you could do enough drugs to bend. To bend to yeah, break after your a while, maybe yeah. it just becomes normal. Yeah. That's actually one of the things. But my... you were raised well, and I'm not sure right. everybody in the adult stuff. But you know what I mean. No, no, I get it, and, and I think one of the thing my buddy, my mentor at the time. Uh, still now told me it was you got to get out of that place because when certain things are like really bad you 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 stay there long enough you think it's normal and I think you get into that point where you think this gangster ass strip club is normal you should get out of there and move to L A and pursue comedy and that's kind of like the kind of kick in the butt that I needed. You're very lucky to have a friend like that because I I feel like so many people say. Oh, I'll t- I'll tell like it is. Believe me, if I've got a problem, you're gonna hear about it. But <clears throat> and maybe on the East Coast, where, where I'm from, they actually back that up. But in my experience, that's a very easy thing to say. But in reality, most people, even people who wish you well, mm-hmm. will watch you drown and gossip about you behind oh, your sure. back, and not because they secretly hate you or anything like that, but because they. I, I think the world is be- the the more that we can communicate digitally. It, it, people are getting worse and worse at face-to-face interaction, and right. and face-to-face confrontation is the worst. We part. don't want to offend nobody. You, it's just hard to go yeah. look, dude. You need to listen to me. You are fucking up your life. Yeah. I'm not saying people hate you. They lack the guts to have that conversation. You're very fortunate that you had someone in your life who didn't feel that way. Maybe comedians are yeah. a little bit more capable of straight talk. Well, that too. Yeah, yeah. We're we're. We're so used to taking shit and whatever, even from our buddies talking shit to us, right? Because right. that's just fun. That's just how we bond. But also, I think it, it, it's you got to be receptive to that. I've always told Sean or like my buddies, like you know, if you know, if I'm fucking up, let me know, you know, and I'll listen, and then I'll make a decision after that. But if you tell me something, I'm not gonna be like, oh, fuck you, you know, which a lot of people do, yeah. and that's not healthy. That's not how you grow, and that's how you end up in shitty situations. Right, that you don't get out of. If yeah, I you're can, not the boss of me. Fuck you. <clears throat> if I can, um, if you will indulge me, one uh, real spoiler from your book. Um, so your parents did not know that you had worked in adult <laughs> entertainment until they read your book. No, my dad. Um, no, my, my 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 dad called me after he read the book. He was like, "Jamie, I I'm, you know this. That's so crazy. You've done that, and like you don't." Don't ever, ever do that again because he got so worried. And this was after the fact. So right. I knew that when I was working that I couldn't have told them. 
He's retroactively worried for shit that happened years ago. Exactly. Years ago. And he's worried that I just won't go back to that. And he's like, I, I'm, you know, I felt like I failed you as a father. I didn't even know about that to protect you. I'm like, well, but I'm fine, you know. And sometimes I, I you know, you have to go through that journey to realize this is not okay. Yeah. It's the act two in the movie, right? If I never went through that, I I might spend my, the rest of my life be like, oh, I wish I would have worked at a strip club, or like, <laughs> I, I wish I <laughs> so would have been a gangster <laughs> or something like that. You know, uh, you know, to different degrees, to varying degrees of that. Yeah, you know, I, I have a kid, and I have another kid on the way, and I think you just have to kind of confront the truth head on. That I I I aggressively courted death for several years, mm. and it's. Maybe my kid won't be as much of a moron as I was, but there's going to be a couple times that your kid is going to do shit that would you wouldn't even be able to watch as a parent, and you probably won't even you'll never know it happened. Yeah, you or just, you'll find out twenty years later. Yeah, you just don't tell them and then write a book about it ten years later. <laughs> right, that's the proper way to to break that sort of exactly. thing to your kids. Um, and I guess finally, since I'm just about out of time. Did you just for fun add a line to your Wikipedia about having done creative work with the Globetrotters? That's real, dude. I did that um, when I was first starting out in stand-up. That was the first paid gig ever because I was the only like Chinese American comedian, and still now I'm like one of very few. So even though I was like just in Comedy Palace kind of struggling, but I have a couple YouTube videos up and they were looking for Chinese American comedians. So that's how they found me, you know, and they met me at a hotel lobby in like LAX or something. The, the Globetrotters? The Globetrotters, not the whole team. <laughs> the two like producers or something. I imagine them traveling in the uniforms. Yeah, and apparently they just need some consultation because they have scripts. Mm-hmm. It's a scripted show like, you know, uh, any Broadway show or Cirque du Soleil or something. They have a script and they're taking that script to China. So they just want to make sure that, like, there's nothing offensive in that script for Chinese people, which I'm the one to know comedy and the Chinese culture. Right. So that's why they asked me. I think I got paid, like, 200 bucks. Was there anything? Because you never know. There's crazy things about things. I told them one thing. For $200, I gave them one advice. I'm like, you're going to bring out Hello Kitty mascot in the middle of your game. That's fine. But just know that Hello Kitty is Japanese and not Chinese. And I'm like, okay. I think they still did it. Who cares? Chinese people, we like Hello Kitties too. Everybody loves Hello Kitty. Yeah, but it's good. Yeah, you got to know that. They I got tried their to, money's worth. Yeah, I tried to apologize to a Korean woman with uh, Japanese cookie cookies one time, and I think that she knew that I didn't. Know. I was young and dumb. And <laughs> I was like, "You, you love these, Ryan? I'm sorry." You tried. She's yeah. like, "But I think I made it worse." Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so much. For coming Thank by. You for having me. Yeah, it's been really nice talking to you. Jimmy O. Yang, the book is available now. You are a published author. That's cool. Woo! Huh? Yeah. How to American An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. Thanks.